The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl G, and I bring you greetings from the Neighborhood House Association and our CEO, Mr. Rudolph Johnson, located here in San Diego. And I will be your host for the hour. With me today to help us have this conversation about domestic violence and the role and responsibilities that leaders and organizations really are being pushed now to consider um, more seriously and take on related to this topic, we have Joyce Cowles, who is the Executive Director of Walking Into a New Life, located in Memphis, Tennessee. Joyce, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Also with us today, we have Casey Gwynn, who's the president of the Alliance for Hope International, based in San Diego. Casey, thank you also for joining us. Hi, Cheryl. Great to be with you. Yes, thank you. And then we have uh, Jacqueline Manley, who is with the Southern Indian Health Council, Family Violence Prevention Coordinator, and um, San Diego Domestic Violence Executive Team Member. Jacqueline, thank you also for being on the line. Thank you for having me today. Mm-hmm. And we also invite you and our listening audience to join in on this conversation by either emailing in questions or your thoughts to Leadership Matters at Innovisions, I-N-N-V-I-S-I-O-N-S dot org. Or you can call in to one 866 472 That's one 866 so, again, thank you to each of our special guests. Joyce, I'd like to have you start us off with just some basic introductions, perhaps if you can just, again, share your name so we can connect the names with the voices and any affiliations you'd like to mention, as well as your connection to this topic. Okay, well, I am Joyce Kyles. I'm the Executive Director of Walking Into a New Life, and uh, we are housed in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I am also a nationally credentialed speaker, trainer, advocate, um, uh, newly published author, and um, I'm also a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault. And um, again, I'm just appreciative to be able to be part of this discussion uh, because I'm not in, in California, but I certainly can speak to it professionally and personally and just be able to show uh, that this is a global problem. You know, it's not just designated to California or just to Tennessee or any place in between. And uh, so for me, um, from a personal standpoint, I've had to deal with um, domestic violence issues being brought to my job. 
and was just really dissatisfied in the way that it was handled uh, by my superiors. So I'm just happy to be on the call and to be able to share that experience uh, and then also from a professional perspective to offer some solutions on how to best address the issue. Okay, great. Well, thanks again, Joyce, for being with us. Joyce, you said you're a newly published author. What's the name of your book? The name of my book is Restoring the Hole in My Soul. Restoring the Hole in My Soul. Yes, it is. That's the name, and and it's not just about uh, domestic violence, although there are traces of that throughout the book, but it is just talking about holistic uh, health, holistic healing, and uh, my journey of how I came to that, and uh, also using examples of of others who have some similar experiences and just being able to put that in, in book form and sharing it with others. Okay, wonderful. Again, thank you for being on the line. Casey, can we have you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Casey Gwynn. I'm the president of Alliance for Hope International. We're a national and international domestic violence and sexual assault prevention organization. We do a lot of work to help communities bring all the services under one roof for victims and their children so that we have one place where victims can go instead of having them go from agency to agency to agency. So we've opened about 90 centers in the United States in the last 10 years, all modeled after the original Family Justice Center, which was started in San Diego in 2002. We also run the largest camping program in America for children exposed to domestic violence, which is called Camp Hope America. Uh, And we do a lot of work locally in San Diego as well. We run a civil legal services program for survivors, and I do a lot of speaking and training all over the United States. And just published, actually, my ninth book just came out, just came on Amazon about a week and a half ago, called Cheering for the Children, uh, Creating Pathways to Hope for Children Exposed to Trauma. And it's really focused on the potentially lifelong impacts of growing up with child abuse, witnessing domestic violence, uh, physical and sexual abuse, verbal and emotional abuse, uh, and it's based on something called the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, which is a very famous national study that tracks the impacts of trauma from childhood on into adulthood. Uh, so that's been a very exciting journey, and that includes my own story of uh, childhood trauma, which connects back generations in my family. So it's all very personal to me, and this is my 30th year doing work in this area. Our organization also does training for businesses on uh, workplace-related domestic violence and often consults with companies on their workplace violence policies and so forth. So it's great to be with you. Great. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much. The um, study that your book was, um, you know, I gleaned a lot from, what was the, who was the author of that study? Uh, the ACE study was actually co-authored by a man named Dr. Vincent Felitti, who for many years was the head of Kaiser Permanente's preventative medicine department, and a man named Dr. Robert Onda, who is with the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta. Okay. So it was originally published out of an obesity clinic in San Diego in the began in the mid-1990s, and then ultimately was administered. These 10 areas of trauma were kind of evaluated with 17,000 Kaiser patients, and now it's been administered in child welfare systems and homeless populations and a whole variety of communities in 25 different states, including the British, uh, the District of Columbia. So the ACE study is, a, for folks that don't know what the ACE study is, it's a fascinating, you can Google it, acestudy.org, and the information comes up, but it's a fascinating journey into 
the impacts of childhood trauma and abuse, and if you put an overlay of historic oppression or racism or poverty on top of it, you start to see who we end up locking up in this country and who we end up criminalizing uh, because of things that happened to them in childhood that they don't get the help they need for, and uh, often it has lifelong implications. Mm, Wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate your sharing that. And Jacqueline, welcome as well. Thank you so much. And would you like to share a little bit about um, yourself and as far as your organization and affiliations and connection to this topic? Okay, great. Yes. I work for Southern Indian Health Council. I've been there for the past nine years, and I've been working with the topic of domestic violence and sexual assault and family for over 20 years. Um, I sit in San Diego on numerous committees. Um, I am the co-chair for the East County Domestic Violence Coalition. I sit with the Domestic Violence Fatality Review Team. Um, and then I also work with batters with the treatment and intervention team. Those are to name a few. Um, this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, seeing families really destroyed by domestic violence, children, as Casey was saying, um, generations of children um, growing up in, in a domestic violence situation and then thereby either battering um, themselves or being a victim. And so it's something that, although it happens in secret, it, it really impacts lives. And so that's why I'm excited to be a part of this conversation today. Okay, we're excited to have you be part of it. So thank you again for joining us. I'm going to ask us to just step back um, and uh, really kind of think about it. I know in recent months there have been challenges regarding domestic violence and organizations' responsibility to kind of discourage it and to support humanity and addressing the social ill. It's become much more prevalent. Um, but we talk about domestic violence, we don't always stop to define it. So I just want to um, ask either of the panelists to respond to, you know, what is domestic violence? If we were to define it, how would it be defined? Okay, I'm going to well, throw the ball to someone. Oh, okay, good. This Casey, is Casey. I think I heard I'll you Okay, I was going to say, okay. <laughs> we're, all deferring to okay. One an- we're all deferring to one another. Uh, I would, you know, there's, a, there's certainly a criminal definition of domestic violence, and then there's a much more social definition of domestic violence. In the criminal context, domestic violence is uh, really any kind of physical violence or abuse that is perpetrated by one human being upon another human being in intimate relationships, uh, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, married, unmarried, uh, current partners, former partners. It's really about, uh, in the criminal context, it's about threats of violence, uh, the actual use of physical or sexual violence. In the larger social context, though, uh, domestic violence is really a pattern of behaviors that usually uh, involve power and control dynamics where one person is trying to assert power and control over another human being, and that may be verbal or emotional abuse. Uh, that may be a whole, whole different kinds of, of economic or financial abuse. It can encompass a lot of things in the social context. Now, many of those things aren't actually against the law from a criminal perspective, but usually a lot of those things connect later to physical violence or maybe going on at the same time time as physical violence. But at the end of the day, 
today. It's the choice by one human being to use violence, abuse, or power and control behaviors against another human being in an intimate relationship. Okay. Thank you, Casey. Jacqueline or um, Joyce, anything you want to add to that definition? Uh, this is Joyce, and, and I don't. I, I think that was very well said, very eloquently put. Okay, great. Thank you. I agree. Ditto. <laughs> All right. So, Joyce, I think I'll start with you and just say, because from your introduction, um, and then I'll ask uh, Jacqueline, yourself, and Casey, if there's anything you'd like to add. But I just want to ask you, you know, how does domestic violence impact the workplace? Well, um, I'm going to speak from the survivor's uh, standpoint uh, with that and, and just kind of share a little bit about myself with it. I, I brought that to work with me uh, because of the issues that I was having at home. And so for me, there were days where I absolutely could not do anything because I was so traumatized about what had happened at home that I couldn't concentrate. And then there were other days that I would come to work and I threw myself into my, my position. And, uh, you know, some of those weeks I produced record uh, reports and, you know, glowing recommendations from my, my superiors and she's doing an excellent job. And, and it wasn't so much that, I you know, I enjoyed my work, but I really threw myself into it. Um, and I stayed at work sometimes longer than what I was supposed to, to prevent from having to go home because that was a safe haven for me uh, at times. Um, but in my introduction, I did mention that I had an incident that uh, spilled over to work. Um, and at that point, I realized that um, people were starting to learn about the situation that I was having at home, but they learned about it because of my supervisor. Um, I'd come to work early. And my husband was dropping me off, and we were arguing outside of the workplace. Okay, Joyce, it sounds like we're going to uh-huh. have to go to break, so I'm just going to ask you to put okay. a little comma there. But when we come back, I want you to pick up with that story, and then I'll ask uh, Casey and Jackie you to join in with regards to your thoughts on how domestic violence impacts the workplace, and we'll go on to talk about the liabilities and things that employers can do to uh, help out with this issue. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. For women, the pressure to achieve is stronger, the work hours longer, and the struggle for respect and authority more complex than ever. You want guidance on how to succeed, and you are not alone. 
you're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern for our special series, Game Changing Women. Powerful women leaders will help you make sense of it all, analyze how you can change the game, and share their playbooks. Game Changing Women, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl White, and I'm your host for today, and I'm bringing you greetings from the Neighborhood House Association, where Mr. Rudolph Johnson is our president and CEO. Today, we're talking about leaders' responsibility in domestic violence. Before we went to break, Joyce was sharing with us your own personal story, Joyce, and we appreciate that, and I'm going to just turn it back over so you can complete that process. Okay, okay, wonderful. Um, I was sharing before break that I'd had an argument uh, with my, my former husband at work. Uh, actually, it was outside of the workplace, and we were in our car. And it was about an hour and a half earlier than when um, work actually began. So it was still relatively dark outside, and I didn't know that anybody was around at the time. Uh, but as it turned out, one of my... Uh, managers had gone to work early as well. And it wasn't until later in the day that I had a, a co-worker who's also a dear friend come and ask me if everything was okay. And, of course, my initial response was, uh, I'm fine. But she kept asking, and I said, well, what is, why are you asking um, how I'm doing? And that's when she went and started telling me about how um, she had been informed that I had been arguing out in my car that morning. And I said, well, I don't know who would have seen me, you know, and, and we just kind of went back and forth with that. Well, it turned out to be the manager had come and asked. Well, by the end of the day, everybody knew. And it became a gossip piece um, for work, which was very embarrassing. It was, it was difficult to work in that environment. I personally feel as if he created a hostile environment for me because he disclosed information that he saw and, and heard, but he never came and asked me. He never mm-hmm. came and asked if I was okay. Um, he never asked, you know, is, is there something going on? Is there something that we need to report? If he truly felt that I was in danger, he didn't notify uh, security where we worked. So there were just a lot of things that went on with that, looking back on it now, that was inappropriate. But at that time, I was still very much a victim of abuse. Um, fast forward now six years doing this work and and speaking as a survivor, as a trainer, as an advocate, um, hosting my own radio show so that I can bring voice to issues such as these. Mm -hmm. Um, And Joyce, what is the name of the radio show? 
the radio show is called Boots on the Ground, okay. and it is mm-hmm. designed specifically to have individuals, organizations, or businesses that are working in the trenches to um, bring more awareness to issues like the ones we're discussing today. Right. Um, so, so I that's my um, story. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, the story you just shared, I think, is a great example of how what you talked about in the beginning was your your place that was your safe haven. Now no longer, home was no longer a safe haven, and now work had been turned into a space that didn't feel like a safe haven either, I would imagine. I'm going to um, have um, Casey and Jacqueline join the conversation and just kind of share from your perspective with regards to how domestic violence impacts the workplace. I think Joyce gave us a really good example. Yeah. Yes, she did. And I think that many can relate to it. And I think one of the ways that it does help um, us to really know that employers should be involved and it does impact the workplace is because just as she's one person, we have to remember that one out of three women are going to be abused in their lifetime at some point. So, and knowing that, most of the time now, you know, that women are a large large part of the workforce. And so imagine someone working next to you is probably has been or will be abused or have domestic violence to be a part of their lives. Mm -hmm. And they're bringing that to work. And then domestic violence is really a performance issue when you look at, I shouldn't say a performance issue, but it can cause performance and productivity concerns. You get to work, you've been abused, you're wondering, who knows, what should I do, and you have work that still needs to go on. And then oftentimes people are late, maybe they miss work, um, due to domestic violence and things that have been impacted them from home, so the loss of productivity, they're saying it's an estimated um, value of $727.8 million per year. Wow. So it's a huge workforce issue. Yes, really. And then and it's a health care issue, and it's a management issue. So it affects all of that. I don't want to take up too much time, and I'm sure Casey may want to jump in on, on what's been said so far. But it is an issue for the workplace. Thanks, Jacqueline, for those um, great statistics and input as well. Casey, your thoughts? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Joyce's story, of course, is not unique. And the point that Jacqueline makes about the cost involved is really quite stunning. And yet in most of the research, the majority of both small, medium, and large employers still don't think that it has any impact on the bottom line of their company. So we have a long ways to go to educate employers on this. You know, once once a workplace or a company has a homicide in the workplace or once they have a major uh, incident of violence or abuse, then, of course, they pay attention to it. But it's amazing how much they ignore those numbers early on. And the the numbers are quite stunning. I mean, just the OSHA numbers, the, the federal numbers from uh, from the uh, federal employer employment uh, studies that have been done uh, peg the numbers really high. 1.7 million violent victimizations per year at work. 
uh, in the United States. And these, that includes things like stalking. It includes things like perpetrators coming to work. It includes perpetrators in the workplace, because let's remember if one out of three women are victims of domestic violence in their lifetime, and many of them are in workplaces, perpetrators of domestic violence are also in workplaces. They work there. Uh, and so they've got to deal not only with victims, but with perpetrators. And, you know, most employers don't get to see the, the, the lost productivity, the cost to them. And most employers don't end up on national television like the NFL did, for example. Uh, an example of a multi-billion dollar company that completely failed to address the issue of domestic violence with their workforce uh, and with the family members of those in their workforce, NFL players across America. But in the absence of kind of being being exposed on national television like the NFL was, uh, employers can get in front of this, and that's certainly my hope with radio shows like this, Cheryl, as we challenge folks to start getting in front of this issue, because one, it's costing them a lot of money. Two, they're really mishandling issues of domestic violence, and they're... Um, they're really failing to address the needs of victims and failing to hold perpetrators accountable who are in their workforces harassing women uh, and abusing women. Mm-hmm. I appreciate all that's been said. You know, I'm going to um, ask us to uh, think about and have each of you share, you know, what should be, what do you think should or could be the employer's um, role in this um, field as relates to helping to address the challenges related to domestic violence? Are there policies that should be in place? Are there practices? If we were to rewind the tape with the manager that Joy spoke of, are there actions of things that he could have, should have done differently? Um, just something to think about. Either of you want to start at this moment with regard, and I think a break is coming up soon, but I would just have you put a comment and we'll continue it. The, um, but just the thought of what could or should employers do as relates to domestic violence to kind of help with this social ill that's now become really a workplace ill as well? Well, I'll I'll say uh, this really quickly um, with what we're doing here in Memphis. Uh, I'm actually, my organization is a partner with the Family Safety Center, and it was really interesting listening to Casey give his his introduction because uh, the Family Safety Center is one of those uh, agencies that, work in very much the same way and was modeled after the, the same Family Justice Center uh, that is based in San Diego. So we're doing the same type of work, it sounds and, like. And, and um, I would just possibly say, Casey, I believe you set those up to begin with, the very first one, did you not? We did. The first one actually started in San Diego in 2002 during my tenure as the elected city attorney when we put 25 agencies together under one roof. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as it's evolved around the country, we're beginning to see the power of this, uh, Mm -hmm. including Memphis. And I'm very excited to see what's going on in Memphis. So that's very great. Yeah, that is exciting to see the connection. Yeah. I just thought that was fascinating to hear the connection. And you got another child out there, Casey. And we are really working uh, hard to bring more awareness, community advocacy in this area. And that's one of the things that I, I am proud of with walking into a new life and the partnership that we have with the Safety Center is because we are really focusing more on doing um, community service type of events, but making it more specific to uh, workplace uh, environment 
training, placement, uh, understanding what policy and procedures are in place, or if there are any. Uh, making sure that, um, it, for me personally, when I'm talking with victims and survivors of abuse, making sure that they understand that they have rights and that there is a protocol that they need to follow. They can file a grievance um, if they experience something like what I did. But when you're a victim or you're in victim mode, you don't think about those things, and, and you don't consider that you have rights and that there are certain responsibilities that need to be put in place uh, for your holistic safety. And so that's one of the things that uh, Aliette and I uh, have been working on really diligently to make sure that the community is aware um, of this epidemic being what it is. I'm so glad that Casey mentioned the point about the NFL. You know, unfortunately, it takes um, something like the Ray Rice situation that brought about, brought about such a, a national attention to it. But then when that fades and that, that's over, we move on to the next thing. And that's my concern professionally and personally, that we don't do enough to make employers accountable, hold them accountable for some sort of consistent training and follow-up when those issues occur. Mm-hmm. And so if we were to think about, you know, what would be some policies that one would recommend an employee have? What would be an example of some policies or um, even practices? I want to start us off on, like, maybe specific policies that you would recommend an employer consider um, ensuring they have in place as relates to dealing with this issue of domestic violence. Well, this is Casey, and right off the bat, every employer just needs to realize that uh, at the federal level, um, at every state level, every employer has an obligation to have a workplace where their employees are safe and they're free from serious physical harm. And court rulings have included violence and abuse in that ultimate overarching liability or responsibility that every employer has. So from the get-go, you've got to ask yourself, do we as an employee as do we as an employer do we as an organization have a workplace policy on violence and abuse that addresses domestic violence situations that there should be a written policy in every company in America on this and if they're a large enough employer to have an employee assistance program of some kind they should have a very clear protocol written protocol that all employees get trained on when they start working for the company on how they handle issues when somebody is a victim of domestic violence Okay, and so, so the beginning gonna, of all gonna, of this is simply I'm going to put dialogue. a comma right there, um, Casey, because we're going to come back and hear the rest of what you're sharing with us. Have to go to commercial break, but we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. 
or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters. Today we're talking about leaders' responsibility in domestic violence. I'm your host for the hour, Cheryl White from the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California. Neighborhood House Association's mission is developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. So glad to have us joined, being joined today by Joyce Cowles, Executive Director of Walking into a New Life uh, from Memphis, Tennessee, Casey Gwynn, President of the Alliance for Hope International, and Jacqueline Manley, the um, Coordinator of the Family Violence Prevention at Southern Indian Health Council, as well as a member of the San Diego Domestic Violence Executive um, Team. Again, thank you from myself, and thank you also from our organization and CEO, uh, Mr. Rudolph Johnson, for joining us for today's show. Casey, before we went to break, you were sharing with us some policies and uh, practices that employers want to be aware of. I'm going to have you just continue your thoughts. Yeah, just to wrap up those comments, for starters, employers just really need to be talking about this issue. It shouldn't be a secret. It shouldn't be an unspoken uh, dialogue. It should be overt and out in the open that we know that we have folks who are impacted by domestic violence in our workplace and we want to support you. Uh, And when issues do come up, we want to be sensitive to them and aware of them. And employers need to know in creating that policy and creating that dialogue that there are a lot of laws on the books. California is probably leading the nation in laws to protect victims of domestic violence in the workplace and to create obligations for employers. But it's moving across the country. Uh, States are creating uh, protected leave for victims of domestic violence to be able to go to court, to be able to obtain a restraining order, to be able to leave work, to access domestic violence services. Um, it's now illegal in California for an employer to discharge or discriminate or retaliate against someone who's a victim of domestic violence who has to take time off for, from work to go to court. Um, they can't uh, do anything to discriminate 
rate against an employee in California who is a victim of domestic violence. And that's happening still across America. Victims are getting fired because they cause problems for the employer and the employer doesn't want to have to deal with their issues. Um, and California, I think, is leading that effort. And now it's even a protected status uh, in a variety of states. Uh, domestic violence victims have a protected status uh, in California and Connecticut and Hawaii and Illinois and New York and Oregon um, and a number of local communities across the country, uh, including Rhode Island, where a victim is protected if uh, he or she seeks or obtains a restraining order. Um, and they're also protected even if they don't choose to receive a restraining order. So it's a very complex area now for employers uh, to deal with, and they need to not only be talking about it with their employees and creating policies, but they need to be complying with the law as it's been cre- getting created in their states. Mm-hmm. Well, Casey, we appreciate your informing us on all of that. Uh, Jacqueline, anything you'd like to add before we transition to another thought here? Um, you know what? I think that, I mean... Everything that Casey has said is just right, spot on, and and I concur with it. I do want to add, when looking and working with employers, working with victims of domestic violence, that they need to bear in mind that they need to listen to the victim and ask them, what can we do to make you feel safer? How can we do this? Um, and work together with them, be a supporting force for them, and always, always, always not try to be the expert in domestic violence, but refer them to an agency that can help them with domestic violence. As oftentimes we use EAP, employers use EAP services. I think that that's good, but I think the best um, referral that they can make would be to a domestic violence agency. And so, again, listening to them. And there are simple things that they can do in order to help make that um, victim feel safer. Maybe changing their parking spaces or where they're going to park and maybe having a, someone escort them into work and maybe changing their desk location because previously the perpetrator knew where they were sitting and maybe change it up and have them sit somewhere else. You may have to flex their hours to help them. And again, as Casey was saying, the practicalness of being able to allow them to, to get off work, to go to court, to do the things that they need to do to help them empower them to be safe and and ultimately really listening again i have to say that listening to the victim how can they help what can they do to help them to feel to feel safe mm-hmm. yeah you know and um as um important as it is as it relates to the um, victim's rights and the need to protect our victims I want to uh, flip the coin a little bit and talk about not necessarily the actual perpetrators, but um, perhaps someone who may be falsely accused of being a perpetrator, um, what can employers do? What practices might be in place to kind of vet that if someone has been accused? Um, I've known of a situation where a... um, a gentleman was accused, and um, based on that, he was actually um, held, incarcerated for, I think, five days. Employer terminated him because for job abandonment, not because he was a perpetrator, or thought to be, but really for job abandonment, he hadn't called in. He came out and said, well, I couldn't call because I was incarcerated, you know, I was, had been uh, picked up and locked up, and then... Um, it came back, and the mediator in the process, after hearing it all, after the person was cleared, 
you know, basically indicated that the employer, they didn't want the employer to, um, um, they wanted the person to be reinstated on their job, basically. It said that he was being further damaged by the employer's actions. What about situations like that where we, where we want employers to be active, we want them to um, be clear, uh, but how do we not jump the gun too soon? How do we know? What's the process? Anyone want to speak to that? Well, this is Casey. I'll speak briefly to it. You know, the Mm -hmm. criminal justice system is a very blunt instrument when you're talking about the complexities of intimate relationships and Mm -hmm. families and family dynamics and current spouses and former spouses. So issues do come up and situations certainly do occur where an allegation is made that may not be true or may not be completely true. Um, I've never been as concerned about that in the workplace context if an employer simply, um, in most cases, they still have to rely on the criminal justice system to do their work, uh, to make findings, to decide if charges are going to be filed. I mean, that's been one of the big challenges in the NFL is do you create another you know, justice system outside the criminal justice system to try to sort things out. And unfortunately, we don't really have another system. So, you know, when someone does lose their job, uh, I think that's really unfortunate, particularly if they're innocent. But we also have to remember that a police officer can't just make an arrest for domestic violence for no reason. They, they can only make an arrest when there's probable cause for them to believe that a crime occurred. So the fact that, that that an altercation ensued uh, that resulted in arrest is obviously troubling to me. My pitch would be that the employer would really reach out to employees that may feel like they need help around that before it escalates to the point that they're screaming and shouting and somebody ends up calling the police and somebody gets arrested or neighbors get involved. Um, But for the most part, my caution to employers is always let the system do its work before you knee-jerk to a reaction and say, well, if this person was arrested or if this person was accused of something, they must be guilty. Uh, I think that's a terrible mistake for employers to make on the other side of this equation. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Casey. Any other thoughts? No, I was pretty much just going to say the same thing that he did um, in reference to not jumping the gun. Um, we have to let due process take hold. Um, when it comes to to that particular issue, uh, just the same as what we we tell victims and survivors of abuse, you know, we have to allow the system an opportunity to work. And I think we do a great dis- disservice when we jump the gun and make decisions based on on thoughts and, and actions, rather than looking at it holistically. I can certainly speak from my own experience with that, with my. Um, Supervisor, you all have not, well, Cheryl, you've met me. Um, The others have not, but I have a a birthmark on my face. And it was assumed that because now the whole rumor of of abuse is taking place in my home, that that must be where the birthmark has come from, that it's actually a a scar as a result of, of being beaten. And that was not the case in my home. In fact, we never had a physical altercation. It was everything else. But it was. It was and Joyce, when you say everything else, um, just say what everything else means. You mean verbal, sure, you mean and, emotional, um, and, and, and yes. And when I when I say everything else, I mean verbal, I mean emotional, I mean financial, I mean spiritual, mm-hmm. uh, I mean sexual. So just controlling and, in those ways, not necessarily physically, but still very much abusive. 
Right, and mm-hmm. and when you are encountering those types of things at home, they're going to go back to the original question uh, that we started at the top of the hour. They yeah. spill over to your work environment, right. and again, and they still meet the. And let me just say, they still meet the definition that Casey laid for us at the beginning as well. So, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry, Joyce. Go on. Oh no, no, no! I was just 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 wrapping that that point up mm-hmm. that. It, it, we tend to jump the gun too often, and I actually did a presentation with a group of employers uh, about that very issue and how we have to be, you know, that we talk about sensitivity training and things like that. We spend so much time talking about grieving, you know, in the process of, of how to, um, the process for someone who's lost a, a loved one or someone who's gone through cancer, uh, those types of things. We do not holistically take the same type of responsibility when it comes to domestic violence and the issues that are surrounding it, and I'm, I'm with the others on the, uh, the call, that we have to make sure that there is policy and procedure in every organization, in every business, um, in order to ensure that there is some sense of safety. And in talking with the employers, but also talking with the employees to make sure that they understand and sign off on something that says that they understand that there are policies and procedures in place if they should encounter a situation such as mine or something worse. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and just a question off the top of my head. So we're, we're talking about um, issues of domestic violence, and we're talking about how it impacts um, the workplace. And, you know, I'm wondering just thoughts with regards to are there deeper issues here societally to where we have this thing that we call domestic violence in our homes? Is there another place in direction? If if I'm um, looking to support um, addressing this issue, and is there a deeper issue someplace that might support bringing some resolution? I would say yes. The, the deeper issues, I think there's patterns of domestic violence, as Casey had mentioned, and he talked about the ACE study and... and um, uh, briefly, he shared about the study, and I, too, would encourage people to go and look at that because I think trauma and domestic violence and the things that that uh, people experience, it's from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. So, and, Jacqueline, I know I've heard you say hurt people hurt people. I've heard you say that in other presentations um, before. Um, mm-hmm. So are there other things that employers might help employees with that, um, fortifies them, either that they don't become a victim or a perpetrator. Uh, any any thoughts with regards to that? I think the training, um, offering training and skills, and again, always going back to the very basic thing that every can, one can do is really listening. Um, and uh, I and I continue to say that because I think that that is so important. And I think one of the things earlier on that was discussed was the confidentiality of the victims, being able to be aware of the victim's needs for not to be shamed or guilted. Mm, uh, a yeah. lot of times those are things that we do um, that we have to, to watch for in order to really heal and help victims. Great. Thank you for those thoughts. Need to take um, a break? Please stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions.
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth, and in general, people don't want to discuss their money until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money, featuring Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I really have appreciated each of you sharing with us your thoughts on this on this topic, and so I'll ask um, maybe Joyce for you to go first, and then um, have Casey and Jacqueline join in on just some final thoughts and tips that you might provide to our listening audience. Um, well, just again, thank you for having uh, me on the show today. I would just encourage employers, if you're listening, to please contact Casey, myself, uh, Jacqueline, Cheryl. Let us know that this is a, an issue that is of concern to you and that you want more formal and specialized training. Uh, really think about what your policies and procedures are regarding domestic violence. And uh, if, first of all, make sure that you have them. And then how old or recent are they? You know, just as we have to update policies and we have to update oil changes on cars and, and, and those types of things, the same thing needs to be done about domestic violence because the issues that we had maybe 20 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, um, things are different. Technology is, is that's a whole other conversation, uh, but technology plays a huge role in a lot of violence that goes on with texting and, and stalking and things of that nature. You know, what type of policy and procedure do you have in place for that? So those would be some things that I would ask employers to think about um, if you are a victim um, of abuse and you're listening in, I would, again, ask that you reach out to, to some of us um, and find out what you can do and what your rights and responsibilities are um, to help you to transition to where you need to be. 
Okay. And if, Joyce, if someone was wanting to reach out to you, uh, what would be the best way to contact you? Is there a website, email, a phone number you'd like to give us? Uh, I'll give them really quickly. My uh, website is org. Again, that's org. My number is 901-466-6182. And my email is info at W-I-A-N-L dot org. But if you go to the website or you go to Facebook and look up Walking Into a New Life, you can get all those conditions there. But I am a certified trainer and speaker, and I do this all across the country. So it's, it's my passion personally and professionally. Wonderful. Well, again, Joyce, we appreciate your being with us and, and sharing with us today. Uh, Casey, how about yourself? Final thoughts and tips? Well, if you're a survivor listening to this show, uh, there's help, and you don't deserve to be treated like this. And if you're in an, a work environment where you're not being getting the support that you need or, or, or uh, want, uh, reach out for help. And if your employer doesn't know what they're doing, then uh, reach out to us or somebody else uh, that can provide you advocacy and support and encouragement. Um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline number is always a great place to start. That's 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. You just spell it out on the phone, 1-800-799-SAFE is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Um, If you need legal assistance and you're in San Diego or in California, you can reach out to us at allianceforhope.com. We have a whole team of lawyers that uh, also work on uh, employment-related issues for employees. Uh, If you're an employer, uh, we partner a lot with the Corporate Alliance to End Partner Violence, which is, uh, they've got a website at caepv.org. Kim uh, and the whole team at the Corporate Alliance uh, collaborate with us a great deal. Uh, Again, at Alliance for Hope, we do a lot of training for employers in the workplace to help you understand your obligations, and uh, we have some very trained facilitators that work with employers across the country. Um, But when it's all said and done, uh, the challenge for all of us is to make sure that this isn't a secret um, and that we start talking about the issue. And when someone does come forward in the workplace, we do treat it confidentially, but we don't let the topic be a secret. People deserve confidentiality when they're dealing with their own personal struggles. But if we don't start talking about this issue, we're going to keep seeing the same issues year after year, generation after generation, and we're going to be spending billions of dollars on the issue of violence and abuse without solving the problem. And we need to get in front of it. So um, thank you for listening to all those that may be impacted by violence and abuse. There's a lot of us that were impacted by it as children and as adults, and we're here to help. Okay, thank you, Casey. We really appreciate that. And then, Jacqueline, how about yourself? Uh, well, actually, Casey, before we um, go, any additional contact information you would want to um, add? No, I, I think that's great. And uh, I, I do, I do want to say, if you need legal assistance, we've got a, we've got a lot of lawyers now that are very specially trained in working on these issues. Either your employer that wants to do what's right, or you're an employee that needs legal support and advocacy, uh, because there's lots of laws on the books, and this is a civil rights issue now in many states. Uh, when employers fail to protect their employees and fail mm-hmm. to provide the resources their employees need. Okay, and they can get that at the website, correct? As yes, at allianceforhope.com. Yes. Contact us. Excellent. And then Jacqueline, yourself, uh, final thoughts, tips? Um, I think 
what everyone has said has been really great. I just want to kind of leave with a story that I was told that I think would be helpful and hopefully people will uh, want to act and do something. Um, There's a VA in uh, Florida that their policy was that they only treat they would only treat vets. And there was a guy who had a that worked for the VA who had a heart attack on the property. And because their policy was that they only treated vets, and he was not a vet, they did what they knew to do, and that was called 911. Well, consequently, when the ambulance came and the um, they you know worked on him, put him in the ambulance to take him to a different hospital, on his way to another hospital, the person died. Um, and now I'm told that the VA here in Florida changed their policy where if there is an emergency situation, they will go ahead and treat the person. And so by not addressing domestic violence in the workplace, we can be just like the VA here in um, Florida and wait for a heart attack to happen and without proper means of a life support. So it's really important. It's a very serious topic, and it's very important for employers to really look at domestic violence in their workplace and see what they can do to throw out a lifeline and make a change and make a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jacqueline. We appreciate that. And I want to also just mention uh, pretty quickly here the IVAT Institute on uh, Violence, Assault, and Trauma with Dr. Robert Geffner, who's the president there, and Sandy Morrison is the executive director. That's www.ivat, which is ivatcenters.org. Again, we thank each of you for being with us today. And to the perpetrators that may be listening to the show, I, I also um, encourage you to seek help and to seek healing for yourself and for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, thank you all for um, joining us today. And uh, Love to have you back every Wednesday. Call in topics. Let us know what you're interested in hearing and, you know, send us your thoughts. Wednesday, 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard here. Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.